For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning into this show. Great conversation today. We've got the legendary Coach Matt Doherty on the show. Coach Doherty played and coached basketball at the University of North Carolina, and he started as a player coached by the legendary Dean Smith, one of his teammates, was actually Michael Jordan and, and James Worthy at the time. Coach Doherty went on to a successful career in coaching, first as an assistant coach at Davidson, then eventually at University of Kansas at KU. In 1999, he was named the head coach at the University of Notre Dame, which for an Irish Catholic kid from Long Island, this was an incredible opportunity and seemingly a dream job, and one that he thought would last a long time. However, in June of 2000, Bill Guthridge, who was coaching UNC at the time, decided to retire. And everybody was thinking Roy Williams was expected to replace him, but Williams turned him down. And so UNC turned their attention to Matt Doherty, and with the help of Michael Jordan and Dean Smith recruited Matt Doherty to come home as the head coach of the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. And in 2001, if you remember, UNC won the ACC regular season championship, and Doherty was voted 2001 AP National Coach of the Year. Then two short years later, Coach Doherty was forced to resign from this dream job. So what went wrong? Why did this happen? How do you go from reaching the top of the mountain and eventually falling off the cliff? And most importantly, how do you prepare and set yourself up for success for your next opportunity after you have this splat moment? You hear me talk about these splat moments on this show. Coach Doherty certainly had one, and that's what we talk about on this show. He also talks about it in his great new book called Rebound from Pain to Passion, which is a great book because it highlights the inside, the backstory of all of this, of what it means to be a player, a coach at the highest level and at the collegiate level, and then have it all taken away and reinvent yourself. And I really appreciate Coach Doherty's commitment to authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability. Again, you've heard me talk about these. These are the keys to transformation. Those three keys of transformation is what's so needed. And I really appreciate how Coach Doherty came on the show and laid it all out there. He's still struggling with it. And who can blame him? And I appreciate his honesty and his willingness to talk about that on the show. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. He's a straightforward guy. He's authentic. And I really like this conversation because it gives you a front seat, the inside scoop of what it's like to go from really the pinnacle dream job to now he's reinventing himself as still a coach, as an executive coach, as a leadership coach. And what was interesting to me is that, as he says in the book and we say in this conversation, that he really didn't start to understand leadership until he had that splat moment, which was really surprising to me. And um, it led to some great insights. So sit back, 
enjoy this conversation. You're really going to get a lot out of it, Coach. He's uh, one of the great ones out there, and I really appreciate him coming on the show. It is brought to you by my sponsor, Equity Bank, which, as you've heard me say, they've been with me well over two years, well over 50 episodes. It's a team that truly knows what it takes to start and grow a business. That's what I like about them. Most banks aren't, don't seem to be in, in tune to that. So it's been exciting to watch them grow into one of the fastest growing banks in the Midwest. Equity Bank is listed on the NASDAQ exchange. They got locations all across Kansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas, with plans to expand even further. Clearly, this team at Equity Bank knows how to lead for growth. So if it feels like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader and you want to work with a bank that really understands your needs as a leader, as an entrepreneur, check out my friends at Equity Bank. Go to equitybank.com to learn more. All right, let's get on with this great conversation with Coach Matt Doherty here on Dose of Leadership. Coach Matt Doherty on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I was excited to talk to you. I always like talking with with coaches, particularly at the the level that you've coached at, and you've been a player and a coach. And so this is going to be a fun conversation. And great job on the book, by the way. Finished Thank it you. last night. So, wow, so many things to talk about. And we were talking about in the pre-recording, and I'll just dive in and, and say this: that I was really amazed to read your book that your leadership journey really didn't intentionally start, as you admit, until you lost your job, what you considered your dream job at UNC. That And that's amazing to me because you had so many years as a player surrounded by professional coaches, so many great examples and mentors, but yet your leadership journey didn't really start till after that kind of fall, right? Yeah, I, I think um, there's no finish line in leadership. You're right. Uh, I th- if you if you think you've arrived, it's like playing golf. If you think you've arrived, you're going to hit it out of bounds. <laughs> and, and I think that you have to constantly learn. It it constantly evolves. My company is called the Darty Coaching Practice, and the motto is "Learn and Grow." Um, and I think uh, Roy Williams uh, often would say that you can be on the right track, but if you're standing still, you're going to get run over. Uh, and especially nowadays, because it's constantly evolving, uh, whether it's due to new generations, uh, new technology, um, new strategies uh, on the court, uh, in the boardroom. Uh, it is constantly evolving. I'm a leader. You've got to continually work at it. I did have great role models. I had Bob McKillop as a high school coach, who's the coach at Davidson College. Uh, I had my other high school coach, Dick Zeitler. I had uh, uh, Dean Smith, um, who is one of the best. And then I had um, Bob McKillop as a coach. I was an assistant for Bob at Davidson, and I was an assistant for Roy Williams. And I think the one thing I I talk about in the book, um, the keys to leadership, and I think there's six of them, and I talk about Stevitt. Mm -hmm. I I, I make a story up. This is the only way I can remember things, and hopefully the audience can remember. Um, Stevitt is a guy I recruited, and his name is spelled S-T-E-V-I-T. And the acronym stands for uh, self. you got to know yourself. Team, you got to know your team. The E is for environment. You got to know your surroundings. V for vision. You have to know where you're going and sell it to your team. Uh, Then I is the uh, industry. You've got to know your industry and stay current um, to put your team in uh, position to be successful. 
And then uh, T is mind for the truth. And I think that uh, leaders do a bad thing of one and, and six. They don't really know themselves. Yeah. Not very self-aware. And that gets them in trouble. And as a result, part of that is hand in hand is they don't mind for the truth. Um, and don't create a safe environment for somebody to tell them the truth. And I, I say that you need to have somebody on your staff that their job is to be the truth teller and it should actually be on their business card. Yeah. A truth teller. So your role as a truth teller, Rich, I'll allow you to come into me, to my office, to me anytime, in a in in in, in a respectful way, tell me your thoughts and that you disagree with something that I did and the potential ramifications of that. And then I have to accept that. Yeah. I don't have to agree, but I got to listen. Respect, yeah. Mm-hmm. Respect it, digest it, and then I decide to act. But at least now that blind spot gets closed. And I'm like, oh, gosh. I, I, he told me it was there. So I can I, – because I say you're going to either – you either manage the truth or the truth's going to manage you. Yeah, for sure. The truth's going to surface sooner yep. or later. Mm-hmm. It can't hide forever. You said so many great things there, and something that I definitely resonates with me deeply. In aviation, we call it, you know, one of, one of the best things I've heard in the briefing, and I incorporate this in my briefings when I'm flying with somebody new, particularly that hasn't flown with before, and I say it's not your right to challenge me, it's your obligation, right, in a respectful manner. I don't want – don't let me land with the gear up. Don't let me crash in the mountains. Don't let me run out of gas. And you're right. So many times – I'm writing what, that down. Obligation to – It's not your right to challenge me. It's your obligation, right? You're ob- obligated to respectfully challenge me, right? And yeah. I don't. we don't have to agree, like you said. I mean, but – Gosh, what a what a gift to have an environment to your point. If I can walk into your office and I say, Coach, man, I think you're really gooning this up here. You know what I mean? And yeah. you and you and I can hash it out behind the scenes and and because you want that, right? You want those those people to be able to, to to tell you you're about to do something stupid. And I think a lot of times yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard. Um and often Often we're more inclined to hear it from somebody else yeah. than from our family, for example, uh, or our staff. And then there's an inherent fear in our staff mm-hmm. to tell us the truth because they then worry about he might fire me. He might not promote me. Um, you know, all the things about bullying. And then if you do that to that leader on your staff, it's going to spread to the rest of the staff. So they are not going to speak up. So now all you have is a group of yes men or women. And why'd you hire them? Right. Yeah. And you're going to be the last to know anything, anything bad's about to happen. Right. And sometimes it's too late once you find out. Amen. That's the whole point. One thing, as I was reading this book, I was thinking about, as you... By the way, the name, if you don't mind, the name, you know, telling the audience the name of the book. Oh, yeah, um, Rebound, From Pain to Passion. Yeah, great. Yep, and yep. you can get it at Amazon, and it's available. Um, you can pre-order now, or you can get it uh, on the ebook version this week. Yeah, and what I really appreciated about it was how you did... I mean, the book was really a... 
inside baseball, basketball, I guess, but inside look at the um, what it what it's like to not only be a player at that level, at that the collegiate level, kind of the disappointment of not getting you know, seeing your NBA dreams kind of fade away. Then you get into coaching, in in less than ten ten years from when you stop your NBA dreams are dashed. Now you're coaching at the highest level, you know, at, at your yeah. alma mater. And just the the stress, and I, I was trying to empathize with the stress and kind of the competitiveness and, and how quickly that can, that, that's what really was painful to read was how f- quickly it went away. And, but in, in hindsight, and I hope you look at it this way, it was probably, you know, from a transformational perspective, from a personal leadership development perspective, it was probably one of the better things that happened to you, right? I know that's easy for me to say now, and, and I know it's probably still painful to kind of, like you said in the book, it's painful to when March comes around to watch, you know, you because that's in your blood, right? That's what you know. But in a lot of aspects, it was a blessing, right? I mean, it, do you look at it, it that way? It, you know, I do uh, at times. Um, and at times, the, the thing... In the book, I talk about the the bridge over the bitter river. Yeah, and, you know, driving over this bridge, there's no guardrails, there's an expensive toll, and you're trying to stay on this bridge and not fall into the the bitter river. But it's so easy it's to so easy fall to go into in that yeah. bitter river. Mm-hmm. There's so many triggers, uh, Rich, um, whether it be just watching a game, a North Carolina game, or seeing the salary that Coach Williams is making, or yeah you know, the hall of fame awards or, um, so you, you have to really slow down (laughs) and keep two hands on the wheel. And, and probably as you touched on alluded to, and I love analogies and, you know, I need to have good Mm co-pilots. I need to have some co-pilots that keep me from veering into the river and, uh, not crashing. And I, I think, Part of it is your faith. I mean, your faith, my faith grew as a result. Because what is the first thing a person does when they're falling from the mountain or or, or cra- getting ready to crash into the river is say, oh, God, please help me. You know, they, they pray. And so um, I think it brought me closer to God. I think it brought me closer to my family. Um, but it's still emotionally very difficult. And part of the reason I wrote the book was it was therapeutic for me to get it out there and to help others. And I don't know what I would have ended up if I I stayed at North Carolina. Would I have ended up as a divorced, uh, bad dad, uh, huge ego, um, you know, who knows? I don't know. But I know this now. I got humbled. And I, I think that here I was, a national coach of the year at my alma mater and maybe God came down and slapped me in the back of the head and said too much, too fast, settle down. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, um, you know, you never know, but you got to have faith and, um, you know, try to put one foot in front of the other and, and grow from it. And that's the only thing that I knew to do because as a coach, as a player, when you deal with failure, you watch the film and try to get better. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciated. I, I, and just so you know, as a reader, that's what you just said there articulated kind of what I was feeling or or what I appreciated most about the book was that struggle with that draw 
how easy it is to go back into that bitter river. And it's something that you're still, you know, because you're a human being, you have an ego. I, I get it. I could, I could, I could see myself doing that same thing. And I appreciate how that that path from when you lost that or got humbled or got the initial slap that it wasn't an immediate process. It took a long time and something that you like you just admitted you're still struggling with today. I I appreciate that that you included that in the book and said that here because it's true, right? And um yep. but I think from an outside observer looking in, knowing that that pain's there and having similar things certainly not at the level that you've exper- experienced it, you know, at, at that but I have had similar things happen to me and it's easy to get triggered, right? Because your ego can pull you back into that bitter river. Easy. It's so easy. And it and initially it feels so good to be in that bitter river, right? The water's warm the water's warm, right? Hey, this ain't so bad. You know, it feels pretty good. Yeah, it, it it's uh whew. You know, uh yeah, it it, it is easy. Um it's easy. It, it does feel good and the people around you sometimes want to show you support and they'll say, yeah, man, you know, you got screwed. Uh, you know, that was your team that won a national championship. You know, they didn't treat you right. And it's so easy to then steer off into the river. And that's when you really got to slow down and that, and, 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 and coach your, your co-pilot. Hey, that's not good for me. That's not healthy for me. I don't want to hear that. That's not good. Um, if we want to stay on this bridge and get safely across this river, I need more things, positive things. And, and I talk about uh, core values, respect, trust, uh, commitment, and positivity. Uh, and, and RTCP is, is the core values of me and any organization that I'm, I'm around. And the other thing is, uh, you know, for 2021, I felt there was so much negativity in the world that no negatives in 2021 should, is my number one goal or resolution. So you really got to, in a respectful manner, say, hey, I appreciate your support, but I'd rather not talk about it. Yeah. yeah. You know, let's talk about the good things. Let's That's talk right. about what we're grateful for. And, um, you know, it, it's because those triggers are real. Uh, and, and, and I, I've got to, I got to avoid them and I need help. I love that. I love your honesty about that. You're so right. And I like how you said to me, it, well, what I heard in that statement, you didn't say the word gratitude explicitly. But that's what you're talking about, right? So to me, to avoid those triggers, it's starting from a place of gratitude, right? About the positive things. Hey, look what I got here, right? Yeah. It, it's it's uh, comparison games are the work of the devil. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, and our world now with social media, it's so easy to compare someone's highlight film to our everyday you know, and you see somebody on a boat uh, in the mountains drinking wine uh, on a yacht. Um, and I'm like, man, you know, I mean, I'm just what am I doing living wrong? Yeah. All house and I'm driving a used car, you know, and uh, uh, and and so that's boom that right? you've got to you've got to put your blinders on 
and not compare yourself and run your own race. And, um, you know, uh, that, that is a challenge because we're, we're human beings. Yeah. And I think that you, I was thinking too, what's got to be really challenging at your level with all that, that circle that you're in is such an, I mean, think about, you're talking about percentages, the people that get to coach at the level that you did is so minute, right? On the grand scheme of things, I mean, it's infinitesimal to do what you did. And so, and so to me, from an outsider looking in, is like, at least you had that, right? I mean, you, you got to coach at that level that so few people in the history of humankind ever get to experience, right? Yeah. And so to me, that if I was in your shoes, I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes. I would, I would always try to remind myself of that maybe. And plus you have such a great foundation from your parents to your family. So many things to be thankful for, right? I mean, I don't know. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to put myself in your position and things that I would do. Yeah. It's, it, you, you have to do that. Um, John Gordon, who is a writer, I respect a great deal and has become a, a, a friend, you know, talks about a great daily gratitude walk. Um, and, and, uh, you know, he suffered from the, he openly talks about suffering from depression and losing his job, having two kids. Um, and the best way to get out of it is physically and mental and mentally, uh, you know, uh, walk, exercise and have a list of things you're grateful for. Um, and, and take your own coaching. Like I do a thought of the day. I do a blog. I do a thought of the day on Twitter. I do a blog. And I really do it for myself. A friend of mine says, you, you preach the most what you need the most. And, and I need that for me to have these reminders that, you know, I'm in a good place. I have a good life. I, I, you know, um, and, and so I need that to kind of develop these habits and get my mind right. So I don't drive off into that bitter river. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of the special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest-growing banks by working side-by-side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ Exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, And I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. You know, and I think as men too, we, I think we struggle with this and this, this, what it reminds me of, 
and I and I've talked about this a little bit on my show before, but like as I told you before, I was a an aviator in the Marine Corps, and everything was about aviation to me. And I put it's about my identity was as a that professional aviator. I wanted you to know that I was an aviator for the Marine Corps. I wanted you to know that I was a Marine Corps officer. I wanted you to know that I was a pilot, right? My and so that was my identity, and it's similar to you. Basketball was your whole life, right? That was your identity, and your identity was that coach. And when it was taken away from you, like I said, when I lost my job, when I got furloughed and I had to reinvent myself, you lost your job, your dream job at, you at your alma mater. Your identity was bruised, right? And that's what made it so painful. And for me, it was then realizing that my identity isn't that, right? That's the role that I was playing. My role at that time was a, a pilot, but I'm also had a role as a father, right? But that's not my identity. Does that make sense? And it seems like oh, that's, 100%. that's the process that you went through and why it was so painful. Oh, wait, listen now, Rich, I'm still going through it. Yeah, me too. I, I'm with like, you. I, I like to be called coach. You asked me, yeah. do you, want me mm-hmm. you asked me before the show, should I call you Matt or coach? I said, well, I like to be called coach because that makes me feel good. My identity as a basketball player makes me feel good. My identity as a coach makes me feel good. It gives me fulfillment, gives me some self-worth. And that's why I continue to like to do broadcast games and do what's on the radio. Um, And that was taken away. um, And I was kind of free falling and, you know, I'm reinventing myself as a coach, but a coach of people, uh, a coach of business leaders. I run a Vistage practice. Uh, it's the oldest and largest uh, executive coaching firm in the in the world. Uh, I'm a chair, Vistage chair. So now I get to coach people. So that's still fulfilling work because, um, you know, I think – in an ideal world, we find something we're passionate about that can pull us out of bed as opposed to a job that we have to show up for where we need to get pushed out of bed. And, you know, I was lucky for most of my adult life to be pulled out of bed as a coach. I never worked so hard in my life. I worked on Wall Street for four years and I, I hated it. I hit this the snooze button three times in the morning. And then when I was coaching, I worked from eight in the morning till midnight quite often. And I loved every minute of it for the most part. Um, and then when I lost my job, it was, who am I? You know, what is my identity? What is fulfilling work? Nothing is, is may ever be as fulfilling as for me is coaching basketball um, from an occupational standpoint. Um, but you know, there's only probably 50 good jobs in college basketball and I'm not going to get any of those right now. And so I felt like I had to focus. I didn't want to just hang on just to hang on and then have some collateral damage, namely my family. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so everything life's a balance, uh, and, you know, you, 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 you know, you deal with some anxiety, uh, you pray, um, and you try to find, you have some fulfillment, some financial 
reward where you can provide for your family. And, um, you know, life is, uh, you know, there's, there's, um, you're going to, God didn't promise us a smooth path. No. Well, in fact, promised us some hardship to keep us close to him. That's right. And I think that, yeah. And all that resonates with me so much just because, like I said, I looked at aviation and flying plane because it is an integral part. It still is. I mean, I still enjoy it. It's something that's, it's hard for me to describe to people. It's I'm drawn to it. It's like putting on, you know, picking up that old baseball glove that melds to your hand. You know what I mean? feels like yeah. it, or a comfortable pair of blue jeans that just feel it's an integral. Where you come alive. It's where you come alive. Yeah. It's where, and, and, and I told you before the show, a friend of mine's a pilot and he flew my wife and I and his wife to the beach for lunch yesterday, which about an hour and 15 minute flight, normally about a four hour drive. I could, I, I could, you know, I get it. Like I, I very, I can relate that like to be up there and in con- control, but yet there's a real fear too. like something could go wrong and you've got to manage that. And, um, in, you know, I, I, I get it. And, and when I talk to pilots, I get it. And so, um, uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, I can, I can relate and a hundred percent just because my job was, uh, you know, millions of people watched it and cared about it. Um, well, it's gotta doesn't be. make it any less significant than your job. No, but I mean, it's intoxicating, right? I mean, it's the same. I, I can imagine being at that level. I mean, you've got a strong ego. I have a strong ego. I think as men, you know, we're ego driven. I think a lot of times, you know, we have these kind of cultural pressures about what success looks like or what it is. I mean, it's 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 validating. It, feel, it feeds the ego, right? Yep. But I think the challenge is, you know, from the self-worth piece, and this is where it, where the challenge comes in, when it's taken away from you, you know, one of the biggest lies is if we equate our self-worth on self-worth equals what we accomplish and what other people think of us, which is pretty much what all of us fall victim to. Right? Yeah. So then how, yeah. so the question becomes, how do you fill that self-worth equation without those things. And that's, to me, that's the challenge that I still struggle with, right? And so it is, it's finding purpose uh, outside of those things that give you that, that passion, right? That, that, and it's hard. It, it's, it really is hard. But I think that, I, that's what I appreciate about the book, Rebound, is that you, you show that in an authentic way. And then I love how you kind of t- you tell that story. The, the bulk of the book is telling that story, and then you end the book with basically all your leadership lessons. It's almost like it's you can pull it off the shelf and open it up and kind of give a, a snapshot of what your leadership beliefs are at this moment. In, that was in the goal. Right? That, that yeah. I'm glad you took it that way. First of all, thank you for reading it. Um, I'm glad you took it that way because that was my goal. I'm pretty pragmatic. Uh, practical. Um, I like, I I wanted somebody to be, understand the background, read the lessons, have the lessons in an orderly manner so they could use it as a reference and say, okay, I'm getting ready to take a new job. How do I need to manage change? How do I change the culture? How, what, what landmines do I need to be careful of? Um, How do I hire somebody? How do I fire somebody? 
Um, so I, I appreciate you taking the way that it was intended to be read. I also appreciate too. Um, one of my takeaways was your uh, awareness or your coming into understanding the importance of emotional intelligence and how it really wasn't important to you until kind of after the splat moment. I thought that was great. You know how emotional intelligence is the key, right? To all of this. Oh man, that, 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 that was my biggest undoing as a coach. Uh, and I think that's where, yeah, I'm, I'm modeled the leaders before me, but I valued the science of coaching more than the art of coaching. Interesting. Yeah, I get. I see what you're saying. Yeah, you know, I valued the X's and the O's and the strategy and the practice organization more than probably the feelings of the players, uh, the individual feelings. Um, you know, the collective feelings. Yeah, but I was more like because. The way I was as a player growing up, and that's why I put the background in about mm -hmm. the park and toughness and, you know, uh, the Myers-Briggs, like, you know. Uh, You're an ENTJ, and that's like. I'm an ENTJ, and, 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 and only 2% of the population are ENTJs, so I don't think like the 98% of the population. And so when I read that after I got let go and I was working with an executive coach, I was like, Oh my God, now I get it. So my job then was to understand each individual, their biggest fears, their concerns, their motivators, their motivations, and then try to understand that in the overarching coaching of the team and really lead by connecting with the heart. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what great leaders do. And 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 that's what Dean Smith did. Um and I didn't do a great job of it because I was I was the type of player that if you told me to do a b and c I would do a b and c. I didn't need a pat on the back. I didn't need a lot of emotional, you know, I just want I just give me the job and I'll go do it. And, um, but only 2% of the population are like that. Right. Right. How yeah. stupid was I? Yeah. No. And then also managing an enterprise that included Dean Smith and Bill Guthridge, who are still in the building and being emotionally intelligent towards them. Yeah. That when I, I didn't realize that that's a little kind of the inside scoop or the inside baseball, no pun intended, except inside look at that I thought oh my god that would be so challenging here you got yeah. Dean Smith still in the building you got the other coach still in the building you know, and there's and and you can see their loyalists right and like some of the people like you know they're like oh who's this new guy and you got to get rid of them and then they went and they worked for them and they're still in this oh my god yeah yeah that was that was my lack of emotional intelligence I'm a a, a, a pragmatic um person what you say, I take for face value. So when Coach Smith told me it was my program, run it how you see fit, that's what I did. That's not what he meant deep down. <laughs> right. But he is always, you know, I looked at him as somewhat of a, you know, like a father figure. And you believed everything that came out of his mouth. 
he would never lie to you, right? So that was my ignorance, uh, my lack of uh, emotional intelligence. Like I didn't get it. And, and on top of it, everything was happening so fast. You know, I got the job in July. Most people get jobs in March or April. And so, you know, that's in the middle of the recruiting period. And I'm trying to move families and recruit. And so that, you know, that was not top of mind, but it should have been. Because ultimately it was led to my undoing. Yeah. I'm curious about when you when you finally went back after I'm trying to remember in the book, was it maybe five or six years and you finally sat down? Am I getting the time right? And then you finally went yeah, down. About six years and with you, Coach Williams. And you went to and you talked with Coach Williams. Tell me about yeah. that. What was that or that was an important It was very emotional. I, I had lost a lot of sleep imagining the conversation with Coach Smith and Coach Williams. By the time we had a meeting set up, Coach Smith's health wasn't good, so he did not attend, uh, which I regret. But it was hard. I mean, what were you hoping to accomplish with that? That's I'm curious. What, 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 I, I think I think just that they got to understand how I felt. Yeah, yeah, and and understand some of the things that. I believe that maybe have went on that I didn't like. And, and, and then, you know, then it's, then it's out there. Anger turned inward leads to depression. Yeah. So I need to let that anger out in a respectful way. And see, and not necessarily, you're probably not going to get the response you want, but at least it's out. And it's on the table and the other person knows how you feel. And when I left that meeting, first, I I probably cried for a minute straight, probably a 30 seconds, but it felt like 10 minutes. And I I was going in saying, yeah, I'm an emotional guy. I was saying, you know, keep it together, keep it together, stay strong, stay strong, stay strong. And as soon as I sat down, I tried to, the word tried to come out of my mouth, uh, I think snot was flying all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and that was very telling because coach Williams and I were always very close uh, when he was an assistant and I played and then I worked for him for seven years. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I loved him like a brother and, and, you know, like a big brother. And he always gave me sage advice and my career was benefited from my association with him. And so you know, people ask, like, how's your relationship with Roy? And I said, well, figure it like this, all right? You get a divorce, and then you're, then then Coach Williams marries your ex-wife. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it's, it's never going to be, you know, where it was. But it's very good and it's very respectful. Matter of fact, he wrote a great endorsement. Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, and who knows, as time passes on, you know, uh, it may even get better. But it's in a good place. Um, and uh, it just, there's so much, there's just so many things that went into the, 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 
the casualty that was my my losing my job. Yeah. Well, I know you got a hard stop. I could sit there and talk to you for a long time. I want to be respectful of your time. I wish I could. Yeah, I appreciate it. we got about five more minutes. Yeah, but I, I, I really do appreciate, and I can see it in talking with you. I, it emanated from the pages of the book Rebound. I, I think the currencies that are so needed in life and in leadership, and particularly after this crazy year of 2020 and going into 2021, is authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability. I think those are things that we suck at as human beings, particularly as men. Yep. Um, I see a ton of authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability in this book and in this conversation with you. And I think that's that's what's needed. And I think you're on the right track with that. And I would highly recommend people thank you. Get rebound for that that for that exact purpose. And I appreciate, like you said, how you told us the story. And then at the end you pretty much capped it up. This is what I believe is a leader today. Well thank you. Us, you know, um I think a big thing for me, you know, I, I never felt that I had, you know, people write books that are more worthy of writing books than me. And, um, but I did, I was doing corporate talks last year before COVID and people asked, do you have a book? And I'm like, no, I don't have a book. And they're like, you should have a book. So one, it's like a calling card. It's like a business card you leave behind. Two, it gives you credibility. Yeah, Whether the book that. is good or not, you could say you're an author. <laughs> right. I just hope it's a good book. Yeah. Uh, and and then um, it was therapeutic for me. But if it helps one person, and like you talk, like, okay, sometimes you think you're the only one. And you're not. You know, like when you talk about it, like, Misery does like company. Mm -hmm. And so now you're like, oh, yeah, you went through that, too. And you can relate. And by relating, you're, you, you feel a peace that other people have gone through some tough things, too. And listen, this is internal scarring. You know, I look at people that have lost limbs and you were in the Marines, right? How many people do you know that lost their legs, that lost their lives? You just lost a job. I just lost a job. So to me, life is about putting things in perspective. Absolutely. Like the gratitude. Yeah. Look what we do have as opposed to what we don't have. And I say that to you and the reader but I'm also saying it to myself. Yeah, it's, just a, it's a, that, like keep my heart lighter. Yeah, it's a challenge. It is a challenge. It, it resonates with me, like you said, though, because I mean, this is the reason why I do the podcast. The podcast, why I've been doing it for eight years. It's therapeutic for me. It's an accountability tool for me to to keep my to help me be the best person, right. husband, father, citizen that I can be. And like I understand why how the book can do the same for you. No, it's not. Well, awesome God, stuff. you know, listen, if you believe in God, you know, God had his hand in all this. And so I'm praying that God can work through me. And if I can help other people not only become better leaders, but become Christians. You know, people say what it, it's not your when you were born and when you died on the tombstone. It's what you did in, in the dash. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm 58. 
And, you know, let's say, you know, I live to 80, 22 years. I hope, you know, the, the end of my dash is uh, more impactful than the beginning of my dash. Yeah, well, it's the obligation to make the place better than we found it. I think that's the thing we always got. That's really the only obligation all of us have, I think, is to leave this place better than we found it. And um, 100%. Yeah. Rebound is the name of the book, From Pain to Passion. Check it out. Coach, it's been such an honor to meet you. And it's great that you're gracious for your time to come on the show. I hope we stay in touch. And, uh, yep, I sure we will, Rich. I consider you a member of the Dosa Leadership Tribe. Thanks for coming on the show, my friend. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time, Rich. Sir. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse. Tell your kids. Tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dosa Leadership brings to your world. Go to dosaleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.